This is The Guardian. I'm Jane Lee, coming to you from Wurundjeri Land, and this is the Full Story Newsroom Edition, where Guardian Australia's editors discuss the news of the week. Australia is reportedly more divided than ever before. A new survey says that our sense of national pride and inclusion have declined, with social cohesion dropping to its lowest level since 2007. According to the report, racial discrimination and prejudice are still stubbornly common, making people of colour in particular feel less like they belong. So what is driving this trend? Today... I'm speaking with Head of Newsroom Mike Tisha and National News Editor Patrick Keneally about what is dividing the country and where this is leading us. It's Friday, the 17th of November. We love our pets, but when the floor is covered in fur, that's harder to love. Eufy X10 Pro Omni Robot Vacuum has powerful 8,000 PA suction to make hair vanish from floors in just one pass. Plus, the roller brush has automatic detangling for easy hands-free maintenance. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y dot com, and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Good morning, Mike. Hi, Jane. Good morning, Patrick. Morning, Jane. Mike, Australia's sense of social cohesion, think feelings of well-being, belonging, worth and participation, is reportedly now at its lowest level on record. Can you tell me a bit more about that? So this is the findings of the Scanlon Foundation, which puts out a report regularly since 2007, where they interview a wide range of people with a particular focus on migration and multiculturalism. And from that, they compile an index of social cohesion. And their findings this year in the study that came out this week was that that index rating is at its lowest since the study began in 2007. So not good signs overall. It wasn't all bad news by any means, but there's some really interesting detailed findings within that, I think, which sort of have mostly worrying pointers to where we're going and some hints about what we should be doing to counteract the trend. Well, Patrick, what could be some of the reasons why social cohesion has declined? Well, obviously the pandemic played a big role in the results this year. So initially during COVID, there was actually an uptick in social cohesion. People sort of grouped together in a time of crisis and the results looked initially good. But as it progressed, they talked about social cohesion almost being at a turning point. And one of the big things that's driving it is a sense of economic vulnerability amongst people. So almost half of the respondents this year said that 
economic issues were the most important set of problems. And, and really within that, things like housing affordability, wages are the ones that are really driving it. And I think one of the starkest indicators of of that is the amount of people who talk about having faith in government doing the right thing for people. In that early pandemic year in 2020 was more than half of people thought that Canberra could be trusted to do the right thing. That's declined now to 36% in 2023. Some of the other indicators are similarly a long way down from that period. Yeah, so one one statistic that really leapt out of me from the reporting on the scanner report was that and this is finding 30% of people believe that government leaders abuse their power most or all of the time. A pretty shocking indictment on how people think politicians are. Basically, politicians are acting in bad faith. That, that was one really worrying stat that jumped out at me. Given everything we've seen, do you blame people for <laughs> believing that? Like, you well, know, I'm serious. I think that things like, you know, robo-debt has definitely dented people's confidence, not only in politicians, but in the bureaucracy in the public service, trusting people to do the right thing. You know, obviously Scott Morrison's multiple ministries really, it's a shocking indictment of the way that our political system works. There are lots of good reasons to not have 100% faith in our political system, but they abuse their power most or all of the time is quite a strong thing to agree with, I think. But, you know, that's where we are. Were there any upsides in this study? It sounds like it's all bad news so far. It wasn't all bad news. There's actually high and growing support for multiculturalism among Australians. So this year's survey found that, you know, 80% of people agree that accepting immigrants from different countries makes Australia stronger. Similar level of support for people saying that immigrants are generally good for the Australian economy. So that's a really um, bright spot in all of this result, that people's faith in multiculturalism endures despite all this sort of economic dislocation and downsides from the pandemic. Yeah, it's interesting that you raised that statistic, Patrick, because I saw that too and it was quite striking to me that there there seemed to be quite a disconnect between this sentiment that the majority of Australians strongly support the idea of multiculturalism as a concept and the prejudice that Australians were found to hold, particularly against immigrants of colour and the number of people experiencing racial discrimination over the last 12 months. Why do you think there's this contradiction between the majority of us, which seem to support multiculturalism, and the the reality, which is the prejudice and the discrimination that actually plays out. I think because even within that figure of quite high support, if you dig a little deeper, there are prejudices there that you reference. So, for example, 27% of people expressed a negative attitude towards Muslims. And as you say, people did experience discrimination and negative experiences because of their skin colour, ethnic origin or religion. So that's, I think, one in three people from non-English speaking backgrounds experience that kind of discrimination or racism. But again, it's a bit of a mixed bag. So uh, the proportion of people with a positive attitude towards people born in China actually increased and the people with a negative attitude towards Muslims actually declined from 41% in 2019 down to 27%. It's interesting that those figures seem to be quite volatile. I was also struck by that figure, how sharply that particular figure had declined. And I think we need to be aware that this survey was taken in July. So, you know, people are not responding to the most recent world events. And I wondered how they would have affected those responses. Also, they're probably more susceptible to negative representations in the media as well. So, for example, if you look at the result with uh, attitudes towards people born in China and if you look at the 2020 result where, you know, you had COVID but also the kind of 
deteriorating relationship between Australia and China. And then you look now at the results where we're in a very different position where there's kind of a thaw in the relationship. And Anthony Albanese has just had a very successful trip to China. You know, you can see how people's attitudes are shaped by the representations in the media. And I would say a similar thing for Muslims in Australia as well. I think that's certainly true, but perhaps we should sort of end that part of the conversation by going back to what people of colour actually said they experienced, which was quite shockingly high rates of discrimination and prejudice. So there's certainly no room for complacency by any means in those figures. I think it's important also to acknowledge that not everyone feels those economic stresses in the same way. While Migrants are often blamed for the affordability crisis in housing and sometimes in terms of employment opportunities. They're actually the ones that will feel economic stresses the most acutely. So they're often working in low-paid jobs and in the services sector, uh, things like delivery. But they also are, uh, you know, vulnerable in terms of being exploited economically and, you know, having their rights in the workplace abused. Well... Why does it matter that Australia is becoming more divided if it is? How have we seen the decline in social cohesion play out in recent years in Australia, Mike? It matters because obviously you want people to express, when people are asked, do you feel a good sense of belonging? Do you feel a good sense of your community, your neighbourhood? Do you feel like you're connected to other people? Do you feel like you're discriminated against or not? You know, that's a sense of how well we're doing as a country. That's the whole goal of economic policy, of everything it should be, to in- increase people's sense of well-being in all, those, in all those directions. But it also has a big impact on the actual sort of high-level politics in the country, I think, and vice versa. The, the way we conduct politics has an impact on how people feel. And perhaps that's the biggest takeaway for me from this survey is that it really goes to things that our politicians, our political leaders should be reflecting on in the way that they, the issues that they take up as issues that are legitimate ones for debate and division and ones that should not be up for debate and division. Perhaps we can go into that a bit more. I'd say that the biggest fear from the declining level of social cohesion is at that political polarisation level because it feeds into, you know, increasing dysfunction of a polarised polity. You know, you only need to look to the US where there are deep divisions between red states and blue states and the way that people think on all manner of issues. And, you know, they've spent months trying to get a House speaker because they can't agree on basic fundamental bits of their, you know, political project even within the Republican Party. So increasing levels of polarisation really disrupt our ability to just get things done, I would say. And Mike's right, like we also want, it's a good in itself to have social cohesion. It's not just about how Australia functions or our ability to run a successful economy. It matters in itself. You know, that's what we want. We want to live in a society where people are generally happy, you know, and get on, get on with their lives without, you know, racism or abuse or discrimination. Another stat that leapt out of me from the report was that the proportion of coalition voters who believe Australian elections are free and fair all the time dropped from 70% in 2021 to 64%. So a third of people who vote for the coalition don't believe our elections are free and fair. Mm. That is a really worrying stat. That goes to a very specific thing that our politicians can do to address 
the findings of this report, which is don't cast doubt on the workings of an independent electoral commission, as Peter Dutton did during the Voice campaign, saying that the way the referendum ballot paper, you know, the process was, quotes, rigged. I'd also say it shows how susceptible we are to imported convicted culture wars as well, because that was straight out of a US playbook. It's, you know, doubts about the process in the referendum were promoted by News Corp. And it only requires this kind of small campaign to, to really have a big shift in the way that coalition voters think about the electoral process. Well, the opposition leader, Peter Dutton, has been accused of creating division. He actually brought up the Scanlon Foundation's report in question time on Wednesday, didn't he? Thank you very much, uh, Mr Speaker. Well, I move that so much of the standing orders be suspended as would prevent the leader of the opposition from moving the following motion. The context was odd. He accused the government of promoting division. And the breakdown in social cohesion occurring in our communities. Two, expresses its grave concern that social disharmony has reached dangerous... The government's exacerbating that in its reaction to the conflict in the Middle East. ...to stamp out anti-Semitism and bring our country together. members on my right. He also went to the uh, High Court decision on indefinite detention. ...by the release of more than 80 hardcore criminals from immigration detention into the Australian community you know, was conflating the two issues. Mr Speaker, the reality is that this Prime Minister has been missing in action. Missing in action when the Australian people... It's just typical of the current coalition approach that no issue is not fair game for trying to drive a wedge between people in the country, basically, to to, to try to use it for political advantage. And that goes to their claims about anti-Semitism in relation to the Israel-Gaza war, to the High Court decision, and they're kind of using the report as a prop, basically, to to say you're you're the one the Labour the government is the ones sowing division when kind of accusing people of sowing division is almost itself sowing division, if you know what I mean. Mm. It's a really disingenuous and bad faith approach. It feels like a perpetuation of what we saw in the voice debate, which obviously the coalition has taken as a success for them. They're gonna run that playbook from now on on every issue, it seems. And that's that's kind of worrying. Yeah, it's an interesting strategy, political strategy, to try to focus on the divisions in the community as a means of gathering political support for one particular party. Do you think it could be working? I think it's a strategy for deadlock and delay, definitely. But I don't know if it's a broader political strategy for actually winning an election. I have to doubt that that will get us anywhere in the long run. I think one of the really clear voices on this yesterday was the independent member for Wentworth, Allegra Spender, who has a very big Jewish community in her electorate. And she was really a kind of voice of reason there saying, you know, Parliament should unite on this. All the MPs are genuinely concerned about anti-Semitism and Islamophobia. We've had Ed Husick as well saying, you know, we shouldn't have selective moral outrage about this, that people are entitled to mourn on both sides. You know, hopefully in this debate that the sort of more moderate voices will will triumph. And I'm not sure that Peter Dutton's strategy is a winning one at this stage. Well, we mentioned earlier the study touched on the distrust of government, but also media continues to be the most distrusted institution in Australia. Is this lack of social cohesion, this rising divisiveness, making the job of journalism harder? Definitely. There are a lot of people out there telling them not to believe things that they read in the 
mainstream media or on social media, you know, there are a lot of different voices casting doubt on what had previously been reputable sources. And the only answer to that is to keep reporting in a truthful and fair and straightforward way. Patrick, in your role, do you try to think about how we need to reach a divided and more polarised public audience in, in different ways than perhaps before? Definitely in the wake of the, you know, referendum result, it was something that I spent a lot of time thinking about. But the two things I would say is that the level of trust in media has never been particularly good. You know, we've always ranked somewhere around used car salesmen. Yeah, real estate yeah, agents. Real estate agents. <laughs> but I don't think it, I think the second point is it doesn't really change our fundamental role, which is to hold politicians and those in power to account, particularly on issues that affect social cohesion. So that means interrogating what Peter Dutton says, uh, interrogating what other politicians who, who have a responsibility to maintain social cohesion, holding them to account in that way. Well, we've talked a lot today about the problems to do with social cohesion in Australia. The three of us obviously don't represent every cultural group in the community, but I do think it's worth reflecting on where we fit in all of this. How connected do we all feel to our broader communities? So I guess in a way I feel like a bit of a fraud discussing this problem <laughs> because my spare time I'm very happy to sit at home alone reading a book. <laughs> rather than getting out there and uh, being involved in the community. But we ran a story this week on the decline in people joining clubs, joining political parties, trade unions, etc., which shows a steep decline. And I guess I do feel worried. I don't know if I can go from my own particular experience, but I'm not a great volunteer or a joiner, <laughs> I don't think. I think um, I'm actually the opposite of Mike. I think I'm involved in you know, various community activities. So I'm part of a swinging club uh, where we meet up on Sundays. I'm part of, uh, you know, a school PNC where we, you know, organise things for the school and barbecues. Even on our street, I organise a, you know, street party every year just to get the neighbours together to try and um, form a bit of a, a stronger community where people know each other. And, and I love getting involved in those kind of things. I'd be much happier out you know, with people rather than sitting home reading a book by myself. So <laughs> a little bit of a different person. <laughs> Maybe I fall somewhere in the middle. I probably could get out and um, socialise more and join many more groups, but I, I feel like I connect a lot with other groups in society through my work as a journalist, which is maybe a bit of a cop-out. <laughs> I also, I feel like I have a pretty diverse group of friends and family, but I also feel like the older I get, the more we're able to customise and tailor all of our news and all of our music preferences and everything we do in a way that cuts out a lot of different views and different ideas about the world. So maybe it's something that we all need to reflect on how to how to broaden our networks and broaden um, our circles so that we can feel more connected to other groups in society. You know, I do worry about those kind of figures of the decline in, you know, mass membership organisations, it does have an effect on, on politics because when you have less people involved in, in those kind of institutions, they are more likely to be captured by smaller voices and by more extreme voices. And, and what you avoid with having sort of mass-based membership parties is they are more representative of the community and they're less likely to be captured by special interests or extreme groups. 
the Liberal Party is going through a similar problem in Australia at the moment where you have very small branches, sometimes as low as, you know, 10 people deciding who will be the next MP, and you end up with extremist candidates. You need these kind of, like, mass-based organisations to anchor it to the society as a whole. Next, playgrounds and politics. Hi, I'm Patrick Keneally, National News Editor at Guardian Australia. Guardian Australia's Morning Mail is a quick roundup of the day's top stories, delivered directly to your inbox, bringing you reliable, accurate news from journalists you can trust. And it's free. Sign up at theguardian.com forward slash newsletter or simply search for Guardian Australia Newsletters. 45 Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. And now we come to what we can't get out of our head. What was it for you this week, Patrick? I really loved the um, depressing playground in Collingwood. A Melbourne council is being congratulated this morning for building Australia's most depressing playground at the small cost of $2 million. Uh, so this is a playground which um, it, it, we've got a before and after photo on theguardian.com slash au if you want to go and check it out. But um, before it looked like a lovely playground with a cubby house and a slide and some swings um, and then Collingwood, uh, the local council, came in and uh, replaced it with a very depressing, stark thing that one of the parents compared to a prison yard, uh, which is like basically a couple of stainless steel poles and one swing in the middle. It's just a very depressing example of uh, something that might look good for architects, but, yeah, I don't think kids are going to be very interested in it. Yeah, not great for the kids who the playground is supposedly for. <laughs> yeah, it, it does also remind me of that trend which uh, has been going on for a few years of sad beige parenting, which is like, you know, only giving children uh, unpainted wood blocks to play <laughs> with and oatmeal-coloured, uh, you know, cashmere jerseys, which looks great on Instagram but isn't exactly <laughs> good for children to play with. Yeah, doesn't sound very fun. Um, Mike, did you have a story this week? So the story that caught my eye this week was about the next week's election in the Netherlands, which is kind of seems to be following a trend, particularly in Europe, where the old certainties of one left and one right coalition, broadly speaking, are completely breaking down. So a new party based around a single person, charismatic leader, not an extreme leader, but kind of in the centre, is leading in the polls. But it's just another example of how volatile politics have become in Europe. So, yeah, one to watch out for next week, which should be 
interesting, but maybe not one that will sort of give comfort to people who would like a return to a slightly more stable and predictable um, politics. <laughs> Thanks so much for your time, Mike. Thanks, Jane. Thank you, Patrick. Thanks. That was Head of Newsroom Mike Tisher and National News Editor Patrick Keneally. You can read more about the Scanlon Foundation Social Cohesion Report in an article by our political editor Catherine Murphy. It's called Social Cohesion Lowest on Record as Australia Reels from Cost of Living, Inequality Concerns and Voice Debate. We've put a link to that article on the Full Story website. That's it for today. This episode was produced by Miles Herbert and Daniel Simo. The executive producer was Miles Martignoni. I'm Jane Lee. Have a great weekend. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.